Good morning, everybody. Um, I said first service, Mary and Joseph from our Christmas play. Those two played Mary and Joseph for two years. I felt like it was Christmas all over again. Um, my name is Alvin. I serve as lead pastor here at the church. Welcome, everybody who's here for the first time. If you don't know me, welcome. Welcome to the church. I hope you're enjoying yourselves so far. Uh, I did this in first service. It ties in really well with the message, and uh, I wanted to do another chorus. Can we sing that chorus of the Lord is my shepherd? It's called Shepherd. Can we do that again? Lyrics on the screen. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our helper. Oh, Jesus, lead us and show us the way to follow you. Let's do that one more time. The Lord is our shepherd. Sing it with us. The Lord is our helper. Oh, Jesus, lead us and show us the way to follow. Lord, that is our prayer today. Be our shepherd today. Lead us and show us how to follow you. And we will follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we get into the message, I'd like to do a declaration, kind of getting us ready to receive from God's word. So repeat these words after me if you can. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it, and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Um, so glad to see you all. Thank you for spending your morning with us. Um, first service, we had a great time, and I know that God's going to move for, you, for us today as well for the second service. Uh, the theme for our year, in case you're new, we have a theme that we've given our year, and it's called uh, Withstanding the Wind. Withstanding the Wind, and it's inspired by a passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And it's John the Baptist who's talking in this passage, and he's referring to Jesus. And he says his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And this is a metaphor that John is using describing Jesus. And he's comparing Jesus to a harvester of wheat. And the wheat is a metaphor for people. And that's the harvest of Jesus. He doesn't gather wheat, literally. He's gathering people. And John is letting us know that he has a process called winnowing where he allows winds to blow through his harvest, through his people. And the wind serves a very specific purpose. And it actually is to identify and blow away uh, chaff. Chaff is a part of the harvest that, that isn't uh, 
edible. You don't eat the chaff. It's, that's, that's blown away, leaving only the wheat. So when you look at this prophecy and this description, and then you look at our day and time today, the Bible makes it very clear that in the last days, it's going to become increasingly more difficult to uh, live a Christian life because of the storms and the winds and the opportunities for, for doubt and unbelief and temptation. They're going to increase. And the Bible says that it's going to become more difficult in latter times than former times to, to be a Christian in society. And there's a lot of winds blowing. And I think it's very important that we took this year to, A, remind ourselves that this was talked about in Scripture, but also to encourage us and train us to withstand the winds of our day, the winds that are meant to uh, sift you out and blow you away from, from the faith, from, from that firm grasp on Jesus that you once had or that you would like to have. The winds are designed to challenge that. But if we are secure in Christ through faith, through his grace, we will find ourselves being able to be built up in a way where we can withstand the wind, where the same wind that used to knock us over will be able to withstand it now. And I think that comes with intentionality. It comes with training, and that's what this year is about. But I want to take a step further this month because the, or the objective of this month is to really teach vision, vision for this church, vision for your lives, vision for the kingdom of God. Vision's important. The Bible says that we need it. Otherwise, we perish without vision. We, we, we lose motivation. We lose uh, the why to what we're doing without vision. So I wanted to take September and really talk about vision. And the, the uh, title for this month is Withstand the Wind and Gather. And I added the gather portion because this scripture that I read, Matthew 3.12, doesn't just say that he allows winds to blow through the harvest, but he says he's also gathering his wheat. So you see this duality of what Jesus is doing. He's, he's allowing winds to blow, but at the same time, he's, he's gathering. And I, thought, I saw that same uh, dynamic or that same duality in Scripture because the same Scripture that says that the days are going to become increasingly more difficult for Christians is the same Bible that says in the last days there's going to be a great harvest as well. So it's a very interesting time that we're in in 2022 because while the winds are blowing seems to be stronger than ever, there, it's also never been more of a ripe time or a prime time to bring people into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's something that is it takes some getting used to, to, to balance both of those dynamics that we have so many attacks coming against our faith, but yet the Lord is saying now is the best time to bring people to Jesus. You see that in the book of Acts where the, the highest persecution time was also the biggest harvest time. They said people were getting saved like crazy during the time of the most persecution in the book of Acts. And that kind of contradicts the way we think. We think that actually it would probably be a better time for people to come to Jesus when the body of Christ is at peace and there is no opposition. But that's not how scripture shows it. It shows sometimes the greater the opposition, the more receptive non-believers will be during that time. Like it's, it's something that we have to learn to get used to because there's a, there's, there's a duality to what we're doing. We're called to 
withstand the attacks and the darts of the devil, but we're also called during this time to take full advantage to how receptive and ready the masses are to receive the gospel of Jesus. So I'm trying to encourage everybody and remind everybody during this month that you have two jobs here. You have a job to withstand the wind and resist all the opposition that's trying to come against your faith. But at the same time, you have to keep the, offense, the, the proactive role, and that is to continue to gather. The definition of gathering is to bring together, to assemble, or accumulate. That's the definition of gather, to bring together, to assemble, or accumulate. And the reason why that is a job for Christians is because that was a job for Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you end up taking on the same things that he does and the same thing that he did. Hence the word following. Hence the word disciple. We become like him. So if Jesus is gathering, he says in scripture that he's expecting us to gather with him. So we have to learn how to do that, and that's what today is all about. The vision of our church is following Jesus, building leaders. In case you wanted to know why is Nashville Life here, what's the purpose of this church, what's their thing, what's their goal, what's their objective, it is following Jesus and building leaders. That's always been our vision. That's always been our objective since the conception of this church. We have felt uh, a need to intentionally build people who are sturdy and stable and confident in their faith, not so much just to stand on their own two feet, which is huge. We want believers who know how to stand on their own two feet and plant their feet and say, this is who I am, this is what the word of God says I am, and this is what the word of God says that I'm called to do. But we want them to also be strong enough to pull somebody else up who needs help because there's a lot of people out there that need help, that don't have that confidence, that don't have that assurance, that don't have that stability in their faith. So that's where the building leaders comes. We want to make sure that we're not just uh, raising up converts, but we're raising up disciples, people who are disciplined in their walk and confident in their identity, not only enough to stand for themselves, but confident enough to actually pull others into the knowledge of Jesus as well. And that's our goal. It's a simple mission. It's, uh, it's a mission that I love. It's a vision that I love. And it's a vision that I believe is, is in sync with the heart of Jesus. So that is what we're here to do. And when you're following Jesus, you get to learn to live like him. You get to learn to think like him. You get to learn to speak like him and to do what he does. And I mentioned before, there's both this, I guess, defensive and offensive aspect to the Christian life. We have this side that's about the defense, which is why we have the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. And there's, there's talks about guarding your heart. So there's definitely a defensive aspect to this faith. But there's also an offensive act to this faith where the Lord is charging us to go out and conquer and gain ground for the kingdom of God. And we as believers have to learn how to do both simultaneously. I think sometimes maybe we assume that the kingdom of God is like a sports team where there's like the offense and then there's the defense. So that you have to learn how to do both as a Christian. You have to learn how to both be on the offense, 
but also be on the defense at the same time. And if that sounds stressful to you or if that sounds intimidating to you, I want to bring comfort because there is someone named Jesus who says that he will teach you. He will teach you how to do this. And not only will he teach you, but he'll teach you how to do it well. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. 28 through 30 says, come to me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then the next verse says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the words of Jesus. And he says to take my yoke upon you. And that's a reference to uh, oxen. There would be oxen that would do labor in, in the fields and in the, in the grounds. And they would have this attachment that would go around their necks. So there would be a yoke around the oxen that would be making them work in tandem and making them work in the same sink. It, it attaches them. So Jesus is using this reference to talk about us. And the cool thing about yokes are whenever there was a new ox that was new to the work, they would attach the new ox to the yoke of an experienced veteran ox. And the whole idea was as they were linked together, the inexperienced new ox would learn how to do work from the old head, from the veteran, from the one who, who knew, knew what he was doing and had experience. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm the old ox. I'm the veteran. I'm the one who has the experience. And you take on my yoke so you can learn how to work with me. And the beautiful thing about working with Jesus and learning to work with Jesus is you can still have rest in your soul while you work. And that's a, that's, that's a breakthrough for some of you guys because there are people in this room who do not associate rest with work. Work is synonymous with stress and defeat and lack and frustration. And Jesus is saying, everybody who here who's laboring that way, Put on my yoke. I'll show you how to do it. Jesus will actually show you how to labor. And yes, you will labor. There will be sweat involved. At the same time, you can labor in a way where your soul will still be at peace. Work and labor is, does, not have to, does not have to link to stress and frustration. That's the way that we work if we work in our own strength. But if we work under the yoke of Jesus, he will teach us how to labor where we will still have rest for our souls. Sign me up. I'm into that. I, 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 can, I can be yoked up to someone like that. So the Jesus is showing you how to work if you are yoked up to him. He shows you again, I told you before, both how to embrace the defensive aspect of the Christian walk because we have an enemy, and the Bible says that there are fiery darts that are being shot at Christians by the spirit of the devil. And we have to know how to live our lives in a way where we aren't vulnerable to those darts and they don't kill us. 
So there is a defensive aspect to it, but it's cool because Jesus experienced those same darts. He experienced those same oppositions that you experience in your Christian walk, but he succeeded. And he says, if you follow me and if you learn from me, I'll teach you how to succeed against those same darts. Hebrews 4, I think it's verse 15. Uh, I said 12 last service, so if you're watching online, don't, yeah. 15, not 12. Verse 4, uh, Hebrews 4, 15. I apologize. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So that's letting us know that we are not, remember I said how the young ox attaches itself to the old ox that has experience? The, the yoke that the Lord is telling us to join in with him, he's saying, I'm someone who's been through this, and not only have I been through this, but I conquered it. I have experienced every wind, every persecution, every accusation, every thought of doubt, every thought of discouragement, every lustful temptation, every respect, every temptation you can think of that made you want to quit or made you want to disobey God or made you want to stop following. Jesus, we have a high priest. We have an ox that has experienced it and never sinned, which means he beat it. So he says, I can teach you how to live your life successfully. I can show you how to guard your life. I can show you how to use that big shield of faith that you have in your closet. I can show you how to put on that helmet so that when something gets shot at your head, it doesn't penetrate. I can show you how to put on that breastplate so that when someone tries to break your heart, I'm able to resist and keep you from being broken. I know how to show you but you gotta put the yoke on and you gotta attach yourself to me and learn from me as the scripture says. So he teaches us how to live our life defensively and on defense from the enemy's attacks and the winds that wanna blow us away. He'll show us how to do it. He also shows us how to live our life on the offense, which is just as important. Matthew 4, Matthew 4 verse 19. Jesus, and he said to them, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So not only does Jesus teach you how to resist the devil's schemes, he actually teaches you how to be proactive and gain more people for the kingdom. He will actually not just show you how to fish, but he will make you a fisher of men. He will actually make your identity that of someone who looks to find people who need to know about the goodness of God. He will actually place a heart in you and he will actually place a mind in you that you'll become a person that on your downtime, you'll actually sincerely start thinking, who needs to know about the goodness of God in my circle? Who needs to know about the knowledge of Jesus? Who can I befriend today? Who can I reach out to today? Who can I invite to my home today to, 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 to get them to experience the presence of God so that they can be transformed the way that my life was transformed? That's what the scripture means. Jesus says, if you follow me, this is the kind of person that I will make you. It's more than just the deed of fishing for men. I said first service, like, I'm not a fisherman. So if I went to go fish, it'd be kind of awkward for me, 
But if a fisherman goes out, that's what they do. It's, it's, it's who they are. The Lord will not just make this a task on your list. He will actually make this your identity where you are someone who proactively and passionately tries to find people who've yet to know the goodness of God, who've yet to taste his mercy. If you follow him, it's a big if, but the word says Jesus does not lie. I don't believe that anything he says is a lie. And if Jesus says following him will make me a fisher of men, then I believe that's true. This is the offer that Jesus is giving to everybody in this room. He is offering himself. He is offering his yoke. He is offering his training. He is offering his transformation to anybody who's interested. Jesus will work with you. He will work in you. And he will work for you. Jesus is a God. He will work with you. He will work in you. And he will work for you. I would like for everyone just to encourage yourself and, and say that. Say, Jesus will work with me. Jesus will work in me. And Jesus will work for me. Jesus will work with me. Jesus will work in me. And Jesus will work for me. Jesus, the greatest work that Jesus did for us was when he was crucified on the cross. That was a hard day's work. That was a tough day on the job. And guess who he did it for? You. Me. He went through that work. He died on the cross and was crucified and buried. He did that work for you. This is the one who's saying Put my yoke upon you. I believe he's proven that he's someone who is willing to serve us. He is willing to work for us. He is willing to sacrifice for us. That's a leader that I get excited to follow. Someone who has already proven that they will do the most strenuous work for my benefit. That's what Jesus has done. And then he says he's going to work in me. He says he's going to give me a new heart. He's going to change my identity and make me a fisher of men. And then he promised that he would work with me. He would always be there. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. You guys still with me? Matthew chapter 28, 19 through 20. 19 through 20. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is not a, a, a master or a Lord that just sends us on a job and says, good luck. He goes, I'm sending you on the job, but I'm actually going to go with you on the job and be with you the whole time. So, yes, the Lord is calling us to labor, but he's calling us to labor with him so that we're never by ourselves. And the reason why I love the Great Commission is because, yes, evangelism is important, and that's how you get people in the door. That's how you share them the good news. But I'm a big fan of 
of making disciples because that phrase really does encompass not just evangelism but so much more. Because my fear sometimes with our, with our generation is that there's a lot of converts and people who made the initial choice to follow Jesus, but there hasn't been a lot of discipling. There hasn't been a lot of maturation and maturing for Christians. So we're not functioning at full capacity because we're underdeveloped. So the Great Commission, I'm a big fan of the Great Commission because it doesn't just say get them saved. It says to baptize them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded us to do. And Jesus commanded us to do a lot. And I was talking earlier about when it comes to being on a job or being a part of a, a company. I've heard oftentimes it's very attractive to be at a place where you sense upward mobility. Like there's somewhere for me to go. I'm not going to plateau. I'm not going to reach a ceiling. And what I love about the Great Commission is that it has endless upward mobility. It has an infinite possibility of how far you can go. We can live till we're 300 years old and there will still be so much further for us to go on this commission. And I just love that. I, I really find myself struggling uh, to connect with the, 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 the been there, done that Christian. If you're a Christian, you think that you've been there and you've done that. I'm sorry, but you're clueless, clueless, because we haven't even scratched the surface. I mean, as if we're all following and observing every command that Jesus has given us. That's even for our own lives, let alone the ministry that we all have been assigned. As long as there's people who still need to be baptized, there's still so much to do. As long as there's people who still haven't been observing all that Jesus commanded for us to do, there's so much to do. And I say that not to make you go, oh, my God, there's so much to do, but more so, oh, man, there's so much to do. Because I, I just, I, I struggle with the, the bored Christian. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, do you know how much the Lord has put on your life for you to do? Do you know how many people he has assigned to your life? Do you know how many things and how many people and, and places that he's sending you? And like, you know, we, we do like, you know, four, four years worth of work and we're like, oh, done. It's like, what? Like, come on, help me out. Sometimes y'all got to help me out with that because there's so much. And I, and I get, but that's where the yoke comes in. Because if we're laboring, but we're not laboring well, then that is what will have you clock out at four, at four years. Jesus, Jesus goes, you got you to gotta learn how to work with me. You got to learn how. You got to learn from me. I can, I can work. I can, I can teach you to labor in a way where you won't get weary in good doing. I can teach you to labor in a way where you can endure to the end. I can teach you to labor in a way where when you die, you will be empty because you have done all that the Lord has called you to do. So for those of you who are clocking out, I'm not condemning you, but I am saying I would reevaluate and make sure that you are working under the yoke of Jesus and not under the yoke of your own strength, 
of your own pride, of your own understanding, of your own creativity, of your own intellect. Because that, you'll be done. We, we're just not built to do the work of God in our flesh. It's, it's, it's impossible. We can fake it for a little while, but it'll catch up with us. It's got to be done under the yoke of Jesus Christ, under his power, under his anointing. And this is what he's offering. He's offering this to all of us. I was trying to think of some practical ways to, to teach us how to, how to walk with Jesus and how to be gatherers and disciple makers. And first thing that came to my mind, I'm like, what's a practical thing that worked for me? And I thought about it, and it was, uh, I, got, I remember that when Jesus was training his disciples, he sent them out two by two. He would pair them up and say, you two, you two guys go out there, you two guys go out there. And that's how they learn. They learn two by two. And I was like, that was actually my story. That's how it happened. I had a desire to be effective for Jesus, but didn't really know how to get started. And I prayed for a friend to help me out, a friend to do it with me. And the Lord blessed me where my roommate got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's actually running sound today. His name is Trey Smith. And when I had my friend, for some reason, having a second person to, to, to take on this, this mission to share the good news of Jesus, it just, it just kicked it off. That's how my ministry didn't really get started. So again, I'm not saying that it's a law that you have to have a second person to do it with, but I am saying that maybe there's, some, maybe there's a reason that Jesus sent them out two by two. Maybe there is something about finding a partner or a friend or, or someone to, to support you and to hold you accountable and to spur you on. Because when we had that, it, it, was, it was fire. It was, it was so much fun, too. So I would really encourage you all to pray. And you'll find that, you know, it could be your, your, your spouse. It could be your, your roommate. It could be a classmate. It could be a friend. But pray, Lord, like, maybe send, send, send me someone that I can, that I can link up with and engage in this fishers of men thing uh, with somebody else. And I bet you, like, I don't think God loves me more, any more than he loves y'all. So if I prayed it and he did it for me, I really think he would do it for, for you guys if you pray it. There's, I think this is a practical way if you, if you do want to get involved. Um, we need each other. And I think there's a reason why he said two by two. But the cool thing about it is he also said that he'll be with you. So let's say you don't find that friend when you want to find it or you don't find that, that ministry partner to start a life group with or to witness to your friend or invite your friend to church. You can always resort to, well, Jesus is with me. He is with you. So technically you're not by yourself because he's with you too. He says he'll be with you to the end of the age. So that's just a practical step. I want to get into a few more practical steps before we leave because I know that's what helps us. You know, I can, I can preach what to do, but, you know, the how is important. So when it comes to following Jesus and when it comes to building leaders, our church has broken the process down to four steps. And the reason why we made these four steps is because we want to make it easy and uh, to understand. The gospel is, is built in a way where actually, like, six-year-olds can get it, like, People who can't read can get it. Like, it's, it's built 
to be something that everyone can do. So we wanted to take this concept and break it down in ways that will maybe make it a bit more easier to grasp so you can run with this. Uh, so we got four steps at our church. And it's, uh, first step is to know God. Know God is the first step. And under that are just a long list of things bigger than the list that you see behind me. But repentance, that's the first step. I don't believe you can have a relationship with God without repentance. I've tried. I've tried to believe in the Lord. I've tried to excel with God, still unrepentant, and it just, it's impossible. And it's really more of a direction thing. You can't face God who's ahead of you and face your past at the same time. You can't be turned in your own way and turn to the way of Jesus at the same time because the Bible makes it very clear that they are in two different directions. The word says that our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. So for those of you who are trying to wrap your mind and your heart around God, but you haven't turned away from the way that you think and the way that you live, don't be surprised if you find yourself going nowhere fast. Because it's impossible. There's a reason why the first word for Jesus from Jesus was repent. He says, repent and believe. I actually believe over time, and I see this scripture in the revelation, I don't even think you can believe if you don't repent. I think he gave it in that order on purpose. I don't think that was on accident. I don't think that he was just saying repentance must come first. You have to turn away from where you're going to even see God, let alone believe in him, let alone follow him. So you got to repent. You got to make a turn and say, I am denying the way I used to live. I am denying and turning my back so that I can turn my face towards the one that I'm called to believe in. Second step is believe. You got to believe that he's a risen savior. You got to believe that he is alive. You have to believe that he has good thoughts and plans for your life. You have to believe that he actually has the ability to lead you and to equip you and to shepherd you into all truth. You have to actually believe that he is greater than any opposition that might come against your life. You have to believe that he is king. You have to believe that he loves you and you have to believe that he is with you. There's a lot to believe in this thing, which is why I say you can't be bored and do this right. If you're bored, you, you missed a step, I promise you, because there's so much to believe. There's so much to do. There's so much to imagine. There's so much. Second thing is receive the Holy Spirit. And it's simple. The reason we've got to receive the Holy Spirit because the Bible says that God is a spirit. And if we're expecting to have a relationship with the spirit, we must have his spirit as well. The Bible says that flesh and spirit will never mix. They're like oil and water. So in order to connect with Jesus, who is a spirit, you must have his spirit so you can connect with them. It's, it's, it's actually very logical. God is a spirit. We are flesh. We must receive his spirit to be able to have a relationship with him. So you need the Holy Spirit. Next thing is start reading your Bible. You must read your Bible and you must continue to read your Bible. Here's why. Well, yes, 2 Timothy. 
2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It is important to read your Bible because this is how you learn who God is. The Bible is what lets you know what makes God happy and what makes him upset. The Bible is how you can find out what God likes and the Bible is how you can find out what he doesn't like. It's, uh, it's how you learn his personality. It's how you learn his thought patterns. It's how you learn how he processes and how he judges and makes decisions. And I think the reason why it's so important to read your Bible is because if you're a Christian and you don't read your Bible, you have no choice but to resort to your own desires and your own thoughts. And what happens is a Christian who doesn't read the Bible ends up taking on a very narcissistic kind of way of living where you associate God's desires with yours. So you're like, well, since I like it, that must mean God likes it. No. <laughs> Since it feels good to me, then it must feel good to God. And that's someone who's yet to swallow the pill that you and God are not the same person. And the, nothing teaches you better than that than the Bible. Nothing will show you how you and God are not the same more than reading his judgments. And reading, you're like, I would have never done it that way. <laughs> I would have never done, he did what? Oh, that's not me. Yeah, you're right, it's not you, it's God. The Bible is how you learn the character of God. It's how you know him. Think about a relationship with someone who you don't know. You have to get to know people that you're in relationship with. you got to learn that they don't like strawberry ice cream, but they prefer chocolate. You have, to, you have to know that they like, you know, cold weather over hot weather. You have to learn. So you, that's how you have a relationship with them. You get to know them, and the Bible gives you insight on who God is. First off, he's not you. <laughs> he's not even like you. For me, thank God. I'm grateful that God is not like me. Because if he was, this world would be done. <laughs> it would be over. And I'm glad he's not like me because it gives me something to aspire to. I believe in Christians trying to be like God. I don't believe in Christians where God needs to be like them. That does, that's not going to help the world. The world gets better when we're more like Jesus. If Jesus is, just becomes like us, then we just got more problems. I just, I don't really, I'm not a, I don't, I don't subscribe to humanism, sorry, in case you didn't know. That's just not, I don't believe that in the innate goodness of people. That's just not a biblical truth. The Bible says every inclination of the human heart is evil. The Bible does not paint a sweet picture of humanity, yet the Bible does say that he loves humanity which means you can love something and still know that it's a mess. God loves humans. 
but he knows that we are evil in and of ourselves, which is why he sent his son to die for all of our evil deeds, and he's given us access to his heart so that we can be born again. If our first birth was so awesome, there would not be a need for a second one. So he sees our brokenness, but he's still invested, which to me is way more powerful. I think it's way more powerful when you love someone who's not good than when you love someone who is. Because I hear sacrifice, I hear selflessness. That's, that's what comes to me. I think it means more when you can love someone who, tried to, who crucified you. I think it's more powerful of a love. All these people are killing me at this moment. Forgive them. I love them. Ow, pierced in the side, whipped on the back while being murdered, he was loving them. That's way more powerful than I like everything you do, so therefore I'm going to love you. Y'all get the difference? You don't learn that love if you don't read your Bible. You don't learn that love if you don't know the word of God. I made that clear. Step one, know God. Step two, Find freedom. The minute you get set free, I mean, the minute that you get saved, the minute you love God, he is ready to set you free. When we come to him, we come to him heavy laden. We've got hundreds of pounds on our back. We've got a chain of addiction on our ankle. We've got pride wrapped around our neck. We've got, we got so much weight and sin when we come to Jesus. And he goes, okay, I'm so glad you're in. Now let me take this weight off of you. Let me cut this chain. It's a wonder you could, how are you able to breathe with that? I don't know. I just got used to it. Okay, let me take that off. Can you breathe now? Oh, I didn't even know my lungs could do that because you had a chain wrapped around your, okay, let me take this, okay, let me, he starts setting you free. He starts taking off the bondage of of, of addiction and pride and, and lust and, and, and envy and unbelief and doubt and insecurity and all the things that suppress and oppress you that, can, that keep you from just breathing like a normal human. That's what freedom is. He teaches you how he sets you free. He delivers you from the, the weight that seems to be diminishing the quality of the life that he died for you to live. There's a lot of ways you find freedom in Nashville life. We're real big on life groups. And the reason why is because the Bible says that the Lord forgives you of your sins, but confessing those things to others heal you from your sins. There's a lot of people in this room who are forgiven but not healed. And the reason why is you're not talking to anybody about the issue. The Bible says when you confess to brothers and sisters, it, it brings healing to your life. The Lord just doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to heal you as well so you can have a better quality of life and not still be paying for the sins that he paid for. Life Groups offers a space for you to do that, for you to be able to hear other people's stories. I've, I was talking about the, the recovery, how, how when people are in recovery, whether it's 12 Steps or Celebrate Recovery or different organizations, there is a reason why it's done in community. Because when you're in a community with other people, it's a lot harder to think that your mountains 
are impossible. When you were sitting next to someone who conquered the very thing that you swore you could never conquer, it's, it's harder to believe that you can't do it when you're sitting next to someone else who has done it or is doing it. It's your mountains become smaller when you begin to share and live with other brothers and sisters in community. Church offers that, but life groups is a bit more interactive. That's why I really do believe in them. We have a life group that's actually called Freedom. It's the Freedom Life Group. It's about how to live in freedom. And Sam Gentry and Josh Wright lead it. They do a great job. Uh, there's a couple others, too. There's another, I think there's another Freedom Life Group. I apologize if you are that leader. Um, but I know they've led it for a lot of, t- a lot of times. So that's why I remember. Uh, find leadership. Find leadership. Need leadership in your life. Human leadership in your life. No, like, Jesus is my pastor, folks. That, I promise you, it won't work. It sounds real nice, especially when you're sleepy on a Sunday morning. But Jesus, Jesus is the, he's the capital S shepherd, but you need a small S shepherd. You need people. God called people to disciple people. He called pastors, human ones, prophets, evangelists, apostles, teachers, human ones, preferably in person. No offense to everyone watching online. I love you guys. But I love you. Love you. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Everyone say, my advantage. That scripture is for my advantage, for your advantage. I feel like I have to expose a logic of the enemy that all of us have either felt or actually given into. There is freedom in submission. And I have to bring that up because I know that human logic and human wisdom says the opposite. It says rebellion is freedom and submission is bondage. That's what the enemy wants us to think. But guys, like that's, that's the kind of thinking that will actually have you in prison. Like that's, how, that's the logic that criminals take. Like criminals go, man, it's time for me to really be free. Let me break the law. And then they have like 30 years in prison where they can't do anything. Meanwhile, someone who obeys the law can drive wherever they want. They can leave the country whenever they want without an ankle bracelet. Why? Because they submit it to the rules. They submit it to the authority of the state. There is freedom in submission. I know that's counteractive to what we hear and what we even tell ourselves. Freedom comes through submission and bondage comes through rebellion. So if God is wanting to set you free, I'm telling you 
somewhere along the line, you're going to find him putting a, a, a person and authority over your life. And if you submit to that authority that he has placed in your life, you will find freedom. So find leadership so you can find someone to submit to and experience freedom, lasting freedom, and then find a community for the same reason why I said find a life group. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another and to love in good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Community, I need to say a faith-filled community because you can have a community that just totally discourages you. The purpose of community and church is so that you can be spurred on to continue in this walk, to continue following Jesus and building leaders. Two more steps. Step three, discover purpose. You have no God, find freedom. Step three is discover purpose. It's important for us to be more concerned about what we've been saved for than what we've been saved from. Praise God for what you've been saved from. Praise God for your testimony. But there comes a point in time where you have to learn to stop putting so much emphasis on what you've been saved from and start considering what you've been saved for. One has you looking back and the other one has you looking ahead. And the word of God says that we've been called to forget the things that are behind us and set our minds to what's ahead. So I'm encouraging someone, yes, I praise God that you've been saved from that addiction or you've been saved from that, that way of living. At the same time, let's not stay there. Let's like go to the next step. Okay, now that you're not addicted anymore, what are you called to do now that you are in recovery? What are you called to do now that you are free? That's what has to be discovered. And the way that we offer that at National Life is Next Steps. Next Steps is a three-week class where we help you discover maybe not your entire life purpose, but at least the next season of your life. It gets the ball rolling towards what, what am I supposed to be using my salvation for? How am I using my salvation? How am I putting to work my salvation? Another way to know your purpose is to read your Bible. Because as Christians, our purpose is actually the purpose of Jesus. I don't know if you guys knew that Christians, I know the like appealing thing is your sins are forgiven. It's like, sign me up. Like, I don't have to pay for my sins anymore. Great. But the other side of it too, but it's also a good side, but the Bible says you've been bought. Your life, salvation isn't, Forgiveness of sins, and now you can just go on and live your life the way you want. The salvation is you've been bought now. So there's, there's, a, there's an ownership that comes with that, that mercy. Jesus says the blood of Jesus purchased your life. You've been bought by him. So you actually don't have your own independent purpose anymore. I don't know if some of y'all didn't know that. I want to tell you that today. Your purpose is no longer your own. The Bible says your life is not even your own anymore. It's still a sweet deal, but it's not the same kind of sweet deal that maybe you thought. 
It's like, oh, great. I have to pay for my sins? Great. And I can just go on and no. Jesus goes, no. You're in my fold now. I'm the captain now, right? Like, <laughs> Jesus is saying, I bought you. Your sins are forgiven, but you belong to me. Therefore, your vision is now my vision. Or my vision is now your vision. My purpose is now your purpose. My objective is now your objective. My personality is now your personality. The way I think is now how you think. Hence the word following Jesus. Hence the word Christian. I have to remind us of the basics. We're Christians because we become like him now. The Bible says we all used to go our own way. But when you are saved by Jesus, you start to go his way. So you learn his way and his purpose by reading your Bible. And then following that vision. Once you hear his vision, once you find out what his purpose is, your only job as a Christian is to align your life with his thing. I just, be careful of making a Christianity where you're lining up Jesus with your thing. That's not Christianity. That's actually, you got him following you. Jesus, this is what I'm doing, and I need you to back me up. It's like, ah, what about Jesus? What are you doing so I can back you up? It's a different, there's a difference. Are you okay? Number four, last one, make a difference. Make a difference. Make a difference is when you start walking in the purpose that the Lord has made clear to your life. Making a difference, making a positive impact on people's lives. And not just a general impact, but an impact that leads them to the Lord. It's a specific purpose. The Lord is not just trying to brighten people's days. He's trying to save their lives. It has to start, it involves brightening their day, but it's so much more than that. So when it comes to making a difference in people's lives, it's, you, you need to, understand what Jesus is trying to do in their lives and be a part of helping that happen. So he wants to show them mercy. He wants to show them grace. He wants to make their lives closer to him. So I'm not saying that you have to take them all the way from heathen to, to pastor, but I do believe that your job is to make a difference to where they are another step closer to God because of you. Let's just start there. Make someone a little bit closer to God because of their relationship with you, because of that coffee with you. Does that coffee with you make them want to love Jesus more or make them want to run away? Does that meal with you make them feel better about being a Christian or worse? These are the things you got to ask yourself when you're a Christian, when you're making disciples. And the way you do that is you can join team, team at Nashville Life. This is how we do. All things that happen in ministry happen via team. Actually, today at Next Steps, it's an opportunity for people to join our team. You can serve in all different kind of capacities, both inside these walls and outside these walls. We would love to talk to you about it. Another way to make a difference is you can open up a life group. We have training where you can actually host people and share the good news of Jesus or 
share with them in a way that encourages them in the faith. You can invite people to church, which some of you guys are doing. Thank you, everyone you know who you are. Those of you who are inviting people, please don't stop because we're inviting people to the presence of God and to truth that most of them aren't getting outside. And then uh, share your story. Don't underestimate the power of your story. Don't underestimate the power of what Jesus has done in your life. Please do not think that you have to have a theology theology degree to, to make a difference in the kingdom and to make a big impact on the, on the kingdom. Nothing against a theological, oh my gosh, theology degree. Nothing against that. Go for it. But just know that that's not a prerequisite. That's not a requirement to make a great impact. You can, you can be right at your desk job and just robbing people out of hell just by just being at work lunch by lunch coffee break by coffee break walk to the car by walk to the car it's amazing I, I worked I had a desk job and I was effective not because I'm better but I just I just I was trained by people to be empowered in my space of life. I was trained by pastors that said, even at your desk job, you can make disciples. I had like four people get baptized in the spirit, and this was like, this was not a Christian place. This was a healthcare office. But I, I, but I got lunch, I talked to them, and I wasn't always preaching. We goofed off and talked about stuff. I wasn't like just preaching all the time. But I made sure I got some stuff in here and there. I, I knew how to kind of get their appetite there. Like, hey, you were saying, what did you say last week? Oh, okay, let's go to the Bible. And this was in Cool Springs, <laughs> like healthcare, like very, not, a, not church. So be empowered, guys. The woman at the well, all she said was, y'all, I met a man that told me everything about myself. And that somehow was enough. To bring all these people to know Jesus, please do not underestimate the power of your story in the lives of those you've been called to reach. I'm going to pray. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I acknowledge you, Lord, today, and I praise you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the vision that you have given this church, that you have given your kingdom to go and make disciples. God, to see people not only come to Jesus, but to see them baptized. Lord, to see them uh, obedient to all that you've commanded us to do. Lord, I thank you that you are calling us to know God, to know you, Father, to find freedom, to discover our purpose, and to make a difference. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that every single person here can sense that they are being invited by you, Jesus, to take on your yoke upon their lives, to actually let your yoke be on their lives so that they can learn from you and learn how to guard their hearts and defend their minds from the winds of doubt and sin and rebellion and unbelief and discouragement and insecurity.
and all the things that make us want to stop. Lord, as we learn from you, teach us how to live our lives where we are protected and guarded from those things. And Lord, as we learn from you, teach us how to live on the offense. Teach us how to have the heart and mind of a fisherman. Lord, teach us how to know how to connect with people in a way that makes them willing to come into the presence of God and encounter Jesus. May we be a people that take it as our responsibility, not yours, but as our responsibility to make an appeal to those who we meet, that there is a God who loves them, that there's a God who purchased their lives through the blood of Jesus. There's a God who has grace and kindness and purpose for them. So God, I pray that we would all say yes to you, take on your yoke on our lives, adopt your vision for our lives, adopt your purpose for our lives, and follow faithfully. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our helper. Oh, Jesus, lead us and show us the way to follow you. I'm going to ask everyone to repeat this prayer after me. And this prayer is the decision that every person in this room can make to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. And if you follow him, he will teach you and he will transform your life in ways that you never could imagine. You'll barely believe it. Your friends and family won't believe it. It's incredible the transformation that he has for everybody in this room. If you say yes to him, he will be faithful to walk you through the entire journey from beginning to end. So repeat these words after me if you're ready to follow him. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's just quickly offer up some sort of sound of thanksgiving and praise, whether it's a clap or it's a hallelujah or it's a thank you or it's a woo, something. Offer up a sound of thanks to God. He is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your thanksgiving. He is worthy of the honor. 
Thank you, Jesus. If you said yes to the Lord, congratulations. Please let us know. We have a texting system. You can text the word BELONG to 77411. We've got some resources for you. We'd love to share it with you. If you have prayer needs, please come down. We have a prayer team that's here to lift up any kind of prayer that you have. We are here for you to serve you. If you would like to come to Next Steps, as soon as I pray and dismiss, I'm going to the third floor. That's one floor up. You're more than welcome to come to Next Steps. We won't keep you long, but it'll just show you, show you how to get more involved with the vision of what we're doing here at Nashville Life. And then lastly, if you want to give your tithes or your offerings, thank you in advance. You can give online or we got a finance team in the back. We'd be happy to receive your offering there. God bless you. Let's pray. I pray a blessing, God, over every person who's here, over every family that is represented here. I pray your spirit, and I pray, Lord, that all of them would continue to follow you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless them. Let them have a great rest of their day and a powerful week. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a great rest of your day.